All right. Well, I think uh, I think we got that uh, that through. Um, thanks everybody for joining us today. Uh, we will be uh, with you guys shortly with Shannon Booth of. Um, I'm sorry. Where's my thing here? We'll be with you with Shannon Booth from Sweetwater Aquaponics. Do you have any last questions here in chat before we uh, round up? I guess we got one or one minute left here. Sorry about the speed of that presentation. Tried to get through a lot for you guys. Uh, hopefully you guys learned quite a bit. I tried to give you guys some stuff you could screenshot and use for later. Right. Well, um, next up we have Shannon Booth from Sweetwater Aquaponics in South Africa. Thanks for joining us. Welcome. Thanks very much for having me, Stephen. Yeah. Well, tell us a little about yourself and your facility down there in South Africa and what you guys have been doing. You guys have been doing all kinds of cool stuff. <laughs> yeah, Stephen, we, um, we were doing vegetables in aquaponics um, basically pioneering in South Africa in aquaponics on a commercial level. And um, my business partner wanted to, to prove that it could be done commercially in, in South Africa. They had never been done on a large scale. So <clears throat> when I first met him, I was, I was working on a small system at the Fact Packers. And um, that's, how he, that's how I met him. And um, he asked me if, if this could be done on a commercial scale. And I said to him, I wasn't sure. I hadn't seen it on a commercial scale, so he said, well, let's try it. So he bought the property, a few properties up from where I was working, and he said, let's do this. And we pulled in the consultant and did the design for the system. And the other, the other factor was, was um, he feels that the next world war is going to be over water. So, especially in, in Africa, we've got heavy restrictions on water here. <clears throat> so... It was about futuristic farming and chemical-free food. That was the initial concept. Um, and we did that for about two years before the cannabis market opened up for, um, in, in South Africa for licensing. And I, I initially said to him that I thought it was a great idea because of the aquaponics and, and the style of growing and being chemical-free growing medicine. I thought it was the only way to, to do cannabis medicinally. So, he wasn't convinced initially. It took me about a month to convince him to do the application for the license. It's quite pricey. Um, and we went for it. Unfortunately, we got it. Um, when, when the SAPRA inspect inspectors came to inspect our facility, they had never seen an aquaponic system before. Um, so it was all new to them. So they didn't understand how we were going to grow medical cannabis in the system without soil. So that, that um, <coughs> took a bit of coercing. Um, but yeah, I, th I think the intrigue of aquaponics allowed, well, gave us the opportunity to prove to that, that we could grow um, cannabis and aquaponics. So they gladfully, glad, gratefully gave us the license, and we are now <clears throat> two years down the line. And it's been a seriously huge learning curve um, for me as a grower, um, going from vegetables to, to cannabis. 
And initially, um, I just thought we could put the plants into the system and go as we had with vegetables, um, much to my dismay. That wasn't the case. Uh, cannabis is a far more hungry plant than anything else we've grown in the systems. So the other, the other consideration in aquaponics is that it's really driven by nitrogen. So we had to look at that and how we're going to counter that. And um, my, my few meetings with you, Stephen, you gave me some really good pointers on, on how to go about it. And I also doubled up my nitrification by doubling up the media beds in the systems. Um, and that certainly has improved everything. Um, the other issue that I had, I haven't done the, the dual root zone um, system yet. You have advised me to do it. Um, but the way that our systems are designed, I'm, I'm certainly going to try it from the DWCs, but in the media beds, um, our media beds are 1.2 by 1.2 with the bell siphon in the middle. So I could probably only get four plants in the media bed at that, at, at, on that um, kind of design, but I'm certainly going to try it. In the DWCs at the moment, I'm using the lettuce and spring onions to take off the nitrogen. And as you suggested, I should do, do that. So I'm actually going to leave the DWCs going, but I'd like to try a few of them with, with the dual root zone um, system. As you can see in, in, in this video, um, <clears throat> I'm getting 15 plants in a, in a 1.2 to 1.2 media bed. And I've had, I've had issues um, just general issues with, with the plants. And I felt that the resistance of the roots going through the through the, the, um, the stones was, was problematic. Um, so I've enabled the roots um, <clears throat> with some cloth as you're using cloth as well in the buckets, but I'm actually just putting it on the roots themselves. And that certainly helped. And also I've added a whole, a whole array of microbes into the system um, through biodyne, which I believe they call my, my clear pond in, in the States. But it's, it's microbes. I'm using um, Biodine 401 and 501. Um, so adding microbes for uh, root development and growth and also to cleaning, for cleaning up the, the excess fish, fish feces, which has always been our biggest problem in, in, in our systems because the DWCs is where the fish feces, the excrement ends up and it lies on the bottom and it, it starts to cause denitrification in the systems, which makes us have to, have to lift up the rafts and vacuum the systems that's, that's with vegetables. With, with cannabis, we want we want the um, the TDS to climb for flowering. So we we don't want to disrupt the the, the roots or the plants by lifting the um, the rafts to clean out the bases. So I use biodine this 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 round for the first time. Um, in, in in it was a three month grow, and I didn't do any vacuuming. And after we harvested, we pulled all the rafts up and the. The remaining excrement from the fish was minimal compared to what, what I, I had prior to using biodine. So that, those microbes are cleaning up tremendously. So that's the one thing that, that I've discovered. Um, the, the nutrients, I'm finding that I'm, I, I did use a lot of, a lot of kelp-based products. And once again, Stephen, you, you corrected me on that. I had, um, my arsenic levels were way too high. They kept failing. Um, <clears throat> but you know, I, I, I progress from vegetables into the cannabis and using the same methodology, methodology and um, in, in lettuce and in cucumbers and, and vegetables, the plants don't accumulate um, heavy metals as, as cannabis does. So when I sent off my first test to the labs, the arsenic levels were through the roof and I couldn't understand it. So I, I broke down everything, everything that I was adding to the systems, everything that could leach into the systems, 
I discussed them with you as to what the problems could be, and immediately you told me it was it was a kelp-based product. I um, <clears throat> I sent off everything for samples to see where it was coming from, and I also spoke to my my um, my reps about about the the kelp-based products that I was putting into the systems and the arsenic, and they flatly denied that it could be from from the kelp uh, kelp base, and they 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 actually said that they feel that the um, contamination was coming at the, at the lab level where they were doing the testing and some other arsenic was getting into there, but then you pointed me in the right direction. And since I've stopped adding um, any kelp-based products, I've got beautiful results. So thank you very much for that. Um, the, the other problem with, with the, the dual root zone is that a lot of my plants are in Dutch buckets. So in that system, I can't actually put in another another um, dual root, root zone bucket because I'm already in a bucket. So I just wanted to discuss that with you at some point as to how I could um, do that. But I'm, I'm sure it can be done using the actual bucket that's in place. Um, so by putting a piece of burlap at a, at, a, at a certain point and then planting the plant, but I'm going to discuss it with you at, at a later stage. Um, I've just done a big harvest now, um, just before November, and it was a very good crop. Um, it could have been better, and I think that it could have been better due to light intensity. It was a winter crop, so I, do, I don't have the, the right lights um, for the winter yet, but by next season I will have, hopefully. But my summer grow is always exceptional, but my last summer grow in aquaponics was a, was a failure because of, of, the, of the nutrition levels and I was feeling my way along and it was a massive learning curve. I put plants straight into the DWCs and I've seen why you don't do it and you suggest that we don't do it. Um, so yeah, it's, it's been a seriously big learning curve, but I feel now that I've got a lot more confidence in my systems and understanding of the plant, but I still need to um, do the dual, dual root zone and I'm also going to do the master class course with you, Stephen. And so I'll learn a great deal more there. So that is basically the background of, of where we are. And um, we do have offtakes to, to the foreign countries, but uh, certainly the, the pandemic hasn't helped any of us. <clears throat> the, um, one of the biggest challenges for us in, in South Africa is, is water quality. And the other big challenge at the moment, well, for the last several years, has been electricity supply. So we're certainly looking at going solar um, so that we can be more self-reliant. And the water is obviously going to be a problem. We, we, our water at the moment comes from an RO system from the coast, and we have to re-RO the system, the water again twice to make sure it's clean enough to go into the systems. Um, you know, going back to the arsenic scenario, we were actually informed that being a developing country, there's a lot of DDT still running off into the rivers from ages ago when they used DDT in farming. So they, they believed that that DDT was going back into the sea through the rivers for the runoff and that we were bringing it back through the RO machines um, from the sea and then putting it back into our systems. But that was one solution that we thought was one of the problems with the arsenic, but it wasn't. It was, it was a kelp-based. Um, products we're putting into the systems. Um, the other thing that, that, that I've, I've recently learned is um, that the buffers, I mean, we, 
obviously in America and Canada, you, you're more advanced than we are. Aquaponics is still a very new uh, grow method in, in, in Africa. We are the only aquaponics licensed facility in Africa, cannabis-wise. Um, but no, I, lost my, I lost my track of thought there. Um, no worries. Uh, what type of fish are you using? Um, I, I used, I used um, rainbow trout for vegetables in one module. Um, just as an experiment, we designed the house, the, the fish house differently so it had more aeration. It was a lot cooler than the tilapia. I use tilapia generally. I use uh, um, Mozambique albino and uh, red Nile tilapia. I found that the red Nile tilapia are more like the Rolls Royce of, of tilapia. They, they, they're aggressive eating fish. They, they're very active. So they, they, they're very good for the, for the aquaponics. I find the, the, um, the Mozambicus albinos, they're also redfish. They, they, they tend to leave a lot of um, uh, floating uh, feces, which, which for me, it, it just prolongs everything. So the red Nile for me is the ultimate fish for aquaponics where we are at the moment. I found, as you said in your introduction, the rainbow trout are extremely sensitive, not so much to, to nutrients, but um, to load shedding in South Africa. If, I mean, the rainbow trout can only last for five minutes without water, phone, oxygen. And I lost, I lost several batches because of that. So I found the tilapia a lot more hardy. And they can handle the pH imbalances. They can handle a lot more. They, they're a lot hardier for, for us. Um, I have considered koi, um, but my experience with koi is that they, they seem to be a lot slower working. They're not as active as, as a tilapia, but that's in my own experience. I haven't tried the butterfly koi, like, like you mentioned, just a normal koi. Um, and the other consideration is catfish. Um, my consultant's using catfish, and he's, he's very happy with them. Um, so, but I, I just, you know, for, for, for me, they're, they're a driver and they're not a form of income either. Um, we just we just swap them out when they get too big and then they get cold and just replace them with younger fish. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, we also have the, the, um, the indigenous people of South Africa there. I find the Zimbabweans and the Malawians um, are very, very hungry for tilapia and, and freshwater fish, whereas the South African indigenous people because of the Zulis, they, they, they will eat uh, more sea fish and they frown at, at, at freshwater fish. So it's quite strange. But so we don't have a market for tilapia, um, but we, we just consider them as a driver for our systems and our plants. But we, yeah, we, we basically we change them out as they get too big. And um, us, we had four fish tanks in a module, and each fish tank um, at full capacity holds 22 kilograms of live weight. And we have an inner sump in our in our systems as well that I described to Stephen. Um, we have a, a big sump that takes that holds five thousand liters, and then we have a, an inner sump which is elevated, which is a two and a half thousand liter sump that's elevated on legs. And um, so the water that comes back from the DWCs, which is depleted of nutrients, goes back to the inner sump, and that water is clean, goes directly back to the fish tanks, and then the fish tank ammonia water down to the, the big inner sump. So it separates the dirty water from the clean water, which is quite innovative. And <laughs> I also, I try to keep my systems as, as, as simple as possible. Um, our consultant is, is pushing more um, 
more ideas onto us um, to mechanize certain filtrations and, and adding nanobubbles tech and, and different things. But I, I'm trying to keep it simple by using more microbes and I'm also going to learn a lot more from Stephen on the masterclass as to, as to how we're going to go forward more naturally on, on that. And uh, what I was referring to, but then I lost my train of thought, was the, the buffers. Um, <clears throat> we only at the moment are using hydroxides. I use magnesium and I use calcium hydroxide and uh, potassium hydroxide. And in Stephen's eyes, that's old school. And I'm now seeing that I, be, I need to be using the silicate and <clears throat> I'm going over to those now. I'm just trying to, the calcium carbonate and the potassium silicate, I'm trying to see where I can actually get them in, in this country. Uh, we, had, we have enough issues getting hydroxides, so I'm going to try and source those and, and start using those. I did find um, my plants and aquaponics um, being outdoor in a greenhouse system, very prone and we're in a very, very windy province. So my plants do get smashed by the wind. Um, and I'm now using um, silicone as a, as, a, as a spray base um, every three weeks to four weeks just to strengthen the plants from, from cloning. So that, that certainly has changed um, my, the, the health and, and the rigidity of, of my plants. That certainly helped me um, get this crop under the belt now as well. Going into summer now, I'm going to start planting again next week, all aquaponics again. Um, we've, got, we've got six tunnels that I'm also planting in the ground. Um, so I'm doing ground grow and aquaponics, and it's, it's, it's intriguing to see the difference, the difference in the flower, difference in the terpenes. The, the aquaponics terpenes are way supreme to, to the ground cannabis. Um, but yeah, even the, the, the flower, even the flower density varies. I find that the density of the flower in, in the ground is better than that in aquaponics, but I'm, I need to work on that. And I do believe it's because of lighting and I'm, I'm referring to the, the flower that I've produced now in a in in winter grow with, without, um, without added light. Um, so yeah, it's also an extremely expensive game. Um, aquaponics setting up the systems is expensive. Now we've got to get the lights and we're getting quotes for lights and uh, the quotes for lights are diabolical, but it's something that we have to look at um, if we want a consistent crop going throughout the year, <clears throat> through winter and through summer. So we, yeah, we're gearing up and it's, it's been a massive learning curve uh, for, for myself and my partner, but extremely exciting and but more challenging than exciting at the moment, but I'm sure that, that we'll overcome our issues. So what type of cultivars are you growing? You're growing all kinds of good ones. Cultivars. Um, yeah, Stephen, I, you know, also for us in South Africa, it's, it's been very difficult for me to get genetics and with the, with the industry opening up, we have our own genetics here, but they're not, they're not the genetics that, that the world is looking for and is used to. And, and then, when we import the genetics, I buy in a pack of seeds, but they don't come with phytosanitary certificates and our offtakers require phytosanitary certificates. So it's, it's problematic. Um, I, have, I have actually imported one strain um, from Spain that I, I, I imported that particular strain, some mango, um, because I'm working a lot with skunk, skunk number one, and there's a lot of skunk in some mango. There's a Korean skunk in, in, in some mango. So, 
my idea was to, to bring in the, the Samango with the phytosanitary and the import permits and then breed, breed the, the, the skunk number one to, to Samango to give me multiple lines and then use that same phytosanitary for, for the strains. As long as I have a, a clean COA, I can export that product with phytosanitary. So that's the one strain that I have. Then the, the, the skunk number one um, I obtained from an illegal grow many years ago, illegal grow that got, that got bust and one of the guys that was working there was an acquaintance of mine and he, he got me a, a clone from that. And that, that skunk number one is the, the original um, skunk number one cut from the mother in the UK that um, my, my good friend Simon Sparing, who's a strain hunter, uh, with greenhouse, he, he bought it in, in, in the 80s, and um, I was blessed with that with that clone, and uh, I, I was a gatekeeper for that clone, and I've, I've kept it for many years, and hoped well, I kept it in, in the hope that I would get into a medical facility and be able, be able to to expose it, which fortunately I have. Um, so that's that's that, and then I'm, I'm also working on some in-house genetics, uh, the slurry cane, and I'm also I've imported a whole array of, of um, genetics from the states, and and also from the UK. Um, <clears throat> there's a guy on Instagram. His name's Blue Skies Vienna Skunk. He's also Blue Skies International. He's he's got a a whole collection of old school genetics um, that he. He got from old old timer one, which he refers to in the UK, and you know he, he did a big marketing push on Instagram, and I hooked onto it because of the of the skunk. I'm, I'm very much into the skunk strains, and I purchased uh, some genetics from him, and I must say the genetics are are seriously good, and <laughs> I'm now going to breed with them, and I've yeah I've got some males and some females. I've just um, Popped a whole bunch of seeds up from him now from this turf town tickets. It's a whole bunch of hazes and skunk hazes that are mixed in there. So yeah, good for a hunt. Um, and yeah, it's very, very exciting genetics. And um, I've also also got a whole lot of genetics from old school chronic who's, who's based in, in America as well. These I, I really believe in in, in the, um, the smaller breeders because they hold on to the gems where the, the, the this is my own belief um, that the smaller breeders hold into the gems and they, they keep them for themselves because they love them so much. And when they do decide to release them, they release them with, with a heavy heart, but also with joy. And I believe that, that Blue Skies and Old School Chronic are, are both in that same league. So I follow them closely. I work with them closely. I communicate with them a lot. I'm using their genetics now. I'm going to breed with their genetics. So that's very exciting. Um, and there's some American um, breeder, farmer flies. Well, I've got some of his genetics, very difficult to come by, um, but it's exceptional genetics, I must say. They, they stand out genetics. And yeah, he's, he's working, um, they, they, they call it working on fire. So they, they work, they're doing some serious work, uh, but I'm trying to tap more into them. But it's pretty close there, so I'm, but I'm, I'm working on that. And, um, <laughs> and then I've also got some of the Jinx proof um, genetics which are very exciting, but I need to work carefully with them. They're very um, guarded as to, as to how you expose their genetics. So, yeah, I'm, I'm very excited about that. I'm also breeding a lot with some of their genetics and um, some ethos genetics as well. So, yeah, my genetics are all over the place. It sounds pretty wild. It is pretty wild, but I'm, I'm very focused on skunk, and that's, that's my main focus. But I also realize that we have to go for the market. So, 
very open to to growing for what the market wants. And I've also said to you, Stephen, we 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 long for genetics in, in Africa with phytosanitaries that we can use and export. So yeah, that's where we are on the genetics. Um, I was also I was also watching your your preview before this, and you're talking about manganese and molybdenum. And I also just wanted to ask you about the, um, your additions, your lactic acid bacteria serums, your labs. Um, that's something that I've never considered. I mean, I, I do watch, um, Chris, I watch KNF and I, I watch them on Instagram. And I always, you know, it's intriguing to me, the stuff that he, that he does and, and the, the ferments that he makes. And, I've always perceived that as a, as a great thing to do in, in, in grow bags or in, in the ground, but in aquaponics, I thought, sure, that's really going to mess up microbes by adding in things like that. But I see that you're doing it, but in a different way. So I'm very intrigued as to how you do that. So that's going to be very interesting for me to, to learn that from you as well. Um, another product that I just wanted to mention whilst we on is a product that, that I use a great deal. It's called Phytost, and I did mention it to you, Stephen. It's the, the moringa moringa tree extract, moringa leaf tree extract, which they're making in South Africa now, and it's got 21 amino acids in it, and it, it increases uh, photosynthesis tremendously. It's, it's a wonderful product, and I did send you the, the label on it, um, and then also the, the insect fresh. You also mentioned that I'm using that in, in the ground um, for my plants in the ground. It's incredible the NPK that it has in the carbon the carbon that it has is incredible. So I use that in my in my in my ground grow. Um, the problem with the fresh, the guy who's who's marketing here in South Africa, he the problem with it is that they, they can't extract the, the, the chitin because they want to make it into a liquid form, but they, they're having great difficulty doing that. So if you have any any ideas on that, that would be a great help because to use it as a as a foliar spray rather than as a as an uptake from the roots would be far more beneficial to me as an aquaponic grower than, than putting it in, in any other form. So um, I do a lot of foliar, foliar um, spraying feeding for my potassium um, uptake as well. Um, I only use uh, real RPM products, so no, no, pest, no, no toxic pesticides, only RPM. And yeah, I just I, I truly believe that um, aquaponics accentuates the terpenes and, and flavors tenfold than, than any other grow. And that's that, that excites me for, for the for future of terpenes um, and terpene extraction for aquaponics and also the chemical free base that, that we grow on for, for medicinal purposes. Um, we aren't allowed to do our own extraction in South Africa. We are we only licensed to to grow and and export flour, but all of our trim has to go to a lab. It's a licensed lab in Cape Town that that can do our extracts for us. We're not allowed to do any of that. But that's all. That's that's something that we haven't achieved yet. That's we're in, in the processes of, of doing that that first extract now to see what the results are. And in in the same breath, um, we're doing a big test with with the, the cannabis from from Ponderland. Um, Simon, the strain hunter, he lives up in Port St. John's in Ponderland, and it's about six hours drive from us. So we liaise all the time, and we now, 
the Ponderland cannabis has been growing in, in the community um, for hundreds of years and since it's just been growing, it's, it's been their lifeline, it's been their, their only form of income for hundreds of years. And the South African police went, went in there with helicopters and they sprayed all the valleys with glyphosate and they, they sprayed um, glyphosate all over the cattle. Uh, yeah, they sprayed on the cattle and, and the rivers and over the homesteads. So it's been, yeah, it's been very um, problematic for the, for the people living there and it's been their own source of income. And um, now that the government's opened up license, licensing to white farmers, as, as, they, as they see, black, black farmers South Africa um, are up in arms because um, white farmers are being allocated licenses at, at, at vast expense and, and the African communities are feeling left out. Um, but the, the, the problem is the understanding of, of, of licensing for, for the African communities and the expense and, and the understanding of, of contamination for them, it's never been it's never been a consideration. They they grow hundreds and thousands of hectares of, of cannabis, all land raised cannabis that they, they don't even seed. It just seeds itself, and, and there's no mold, there's no metals. It's, it's pure pure medicine, but it's still considered an illegal grow. So we're very busy um, working with government on on. Um, streamlining that and actually trying to to make that illegal grow into a community-driven grow, um, where where we can take thousands of of, of tons of, of land-raised cannabis and extract extract that land-raised, which is clean and pure medicine, and export that to to, to the rest of the world. So we're trying to do that at, at great difficulty and frustration because of the legality and because GAP and GMP, there's none of that up in Ponderland. So we're working on rural practices, rural collecting practices, um, teaching the, 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 the indigenous farmers up there actually how to, to grow cannabis in, in, a, in a better way, um, take up the males. So, I mean, the, the fields there are just the mixed just males, males and females on a par. So everything's heavily seeded. It, it needs to be controlled now and regulated. And they actually, they actually need to be taught. And the other problem is that they they now realise we lose him. Yeah, I think he might have disconnected. All right. Well. He'll be back with us shortly. Uh, this is his Instagram, is underscore aquaponics. Again, there's Sweetwater Aquaponics out of South Africa. Hopefully, he didn't get hit with load shedding or something. I see it's on the 30 minute mark. So, but they grow amazing aquaponic cannabis. They are the largest aquaponic cannabis producer currently in all of Africa. Yeah, it looks like he had some kind of connection issue. Hopefully, he'll be back with us shortly. It looks like he just rejoined. Thanks, everyone, for joining us. Appreciate your activity in chat. Don't forget to hit the like button.
Sorry, I seem to have lost. Yeah. Okay. Welcome back, Shannon. Inter internet so, and so. Uh, electricity can be tricky things in Africa. Eh? Yeah, very much so. I was just checking the load shedding and the lights on. That'd be good. <laughs> so. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I was talking about the Condoland. Yeah. So, you know, for, for us, it's, it's, it's extremely important for, for us to. For, for government to see the pond of land grow as 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 a as a medical grow, it's, so what we've done now with with Simon Strain Hunt is that we've taken fifty kilograms um, and we've we've deseeded that fifty kilograms and we sent it down to the lab. Uh, we've got a concession from government to do that. So now they're busy doing that extract, and the results of that we're going to send the, that extract result to government. To show them, because we've actually done some extracts on it before, and it's beautiful. Um, there's normally on 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 a, on a on an aquaponic um, COA, I get THC and CBG, and maybe a little bit of CBD, but these are high THC plants. Um, in Ponderland extract, you've got at least five or six cannabinoids that jump out at you straight away. It's it's just pure medicine. Um, but, what I, what I was saying before the cope was that the, the, the pondos now have, have seen the value in strains. Um, they, they've always only used land race to work with land race, and now they're getting some strains in there and they, they're growing strains. And of course, the ponderland males are, are um, pollinating these, these strains. So they, they're getting blends of, of, of land race now coming in with strains, so higher THC, because the land race uh, will only get you between four to eight percent THC, eight would be very high in the land race. So we normally work on a 4% THC. So it's more like a hemp and it grows like a hemp. It's a very thin plant, but lots of plants is, it makes up the bulk. Um, so for us, it's, it's extremely important for us to, to bring the, the indigenous community forward with us as we go into this industry, because they are the ones who've been living off this plant for, for, for generations. And now we come in now, and because it's so expensive to get the license and get the facility up to date, um, they can't afford to do that. So the government in South Africa is having to relook at this. But it's a, it's a challenge because it's so rural. And they also think about putting in an extraction site into the, into the area, into the, the rural areas to do that whole crop. So we are, we are, making, um, we are making inroads to, to get that, that, those hundreds of hectares extracted for those communities. And we will do it through our license. Um, we put up our license for that in our application for our license to, to SAFA, which is the South African um, Health Products Regulatory Authority. With our application, we sent in our application to work with the Ponderland people to get their product to market as well. So that is, that is part of our thinking, part of our processing um, going forward. Um, it's a big thing for us. We also want to do, uh, be working with uh, sun warmers and witch doctors with their, their herbal remedies. Um, so we've got some skeletium in coming into the systems now. Uh, the guys that, that we work with at the labs are asking us to plant as much skeletium as we can. Um, Stephen saw the skeletium we're working with, it's a it's very good um, indigenous skeletium. So we're going to be looking at that as well, but that will, that will go under center for this in a different area in the Karoo. So yeah, we're looking at medicinal things, but the cannabis for me is the biggest challenge in aquaponics. I see the, I see the shortfalls that I have. Um, 
And yeah, I look forward to working with Stephen going forward in the future to, to get it to that where we need to be. But yeah, um, it's, it's, been a, it's been a wonderful journey and um, it's only going to get better from here. So I look forward to doing the masterclass course with you, Stephen, and um, learning a great module. Some questions from chat. Somebody asked where there is a bell siphon on the Dutch buckets or in the middle of the Dutch buckets. Could you talk about that a little bit? About the Dutch buckets. So the, the Dutch... Go ahead. Okay, so um, each, each module we add 60 Dutch buckets to. And so where, where the water comes in from, the, from the, the media beds, it drains into the DWC. And as it comes into DWC, that's where the water is at its most nutritional. So then we've got submersible pumps in the DWC at that point that then pump water up to a pulsator, which would be that bucket that you just went past now, which is higher than, than the other buckets. So it feeds on gravity. That, that bucket has um, a bell siphoned as well, as, as do the media beds. So as it gets to a point, the airlock breaks through to atmospheric pressure and the water drains out. So each pulsator will feed 10 buckets. So every, every four minutes that bucket fills up, it releases and it will feed those 10 buckets. So each 10 buckets has a pulsator and we link them accordingly around the system, around the DWCs. And they, they work phenomenally well. And so it just pulsates. So that's called a pulsator because it just pulsates over the buckets. And basically the water just runs, comes out of a nozzle, runs over the stone, over the roots, and goes into a pipe and leads back to the sun. So it just it runs over the roots, feeds in and, and leads off. So for me to, to do the, the dual root zone in here, I've had to put the, the burlap sort of halfway down. And I, I believe that it will work very well in this in this in the, in the Dutch bucket system. So the, the Dutch buckets only contain 19 millimeter stone. There's nothing else in there but stone. Um, and that, that's where I have to protect the roots. Um, you know, putting putting the the roots into cold stone and expecting the plant to grow. It it, it works with with the tomatoes and cucumbers, but not with cannabis. Uh, they require a bit more attention than that. So, but. As you can see in the pictures, they're, they're very happy in there and they're very happy in, in, in the media beds without the dual root zone, but I want to try the dual root zone to get better everything. The microbes on the different levels, as Stephen has suggested, can get it to things. But yeah. So this was a winter grow. Um, I also on your on your DW season in the dual root zone. Um, I was looking at in your in, in introduction as well. You've got those 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 tunnel those tunnel hoops of your DWC because I was wondering how you how you support those big plants on the on top of those rafts on top of the buckets because they they stand pretty high and they they're obviously top heavy. I know that you said that the that the the weight of the bucket anchors and the roots anchors as well, but with the wind factor we get here, it's, they're going to blow over. So. Do you use those hoops to put up scrub netting or are they just there to yep. support the plants? No, that's that's why they're there for scrogging and for, for scrogging. You, know, you can lean on them if you need to reach into the middle of the row or whatever without you know touching the plants. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so I'm very interested to look at that, Steve, because my, my DWCs, I, I, I've got four of them in, in each each module, and I could be using two of them 
to put in the in the buckets like you do, and then using two of them to take off the nitrogen at that flowering. So I'll, I'll, I will always have deep water to take nitrogen off because we're always having nitrogen in the systems, as you know. Yep. Well, we had another question in chat. Um, can you process and sell the tilapia from your system in your country? Yes, we can. Um, like I said, the, the South African um, indigenous people, they, they don't eat freshwater fish, but we have a lot of Malawians and Zimbabweans in, in South Africa now who are in townships mixing with, with our locals, and they, they are very hungry for those fish. And so we do sell them if they, if they ask for them, but my consultant has a market where he slaughters them for, he's got a market for housewives for his fresh, fresh, fresh produce and tilapia fillets, which is going pretty well. Um, do you have any interest in working with any South African genetics, um, you know, that are from there, aside from the, the grow that you previously talked about, or have you done other experimentation with any Durbans? Uh, someone asked in chat. Yeah, I haven't. I haven't actually done any any growing with Durban poison. Um, and I have a friend uh, who's who's got a facility up in Johannesburg, and they they. Yeah, and, and they're, they're, they're being patriotic. They, they're using the, the South African genetics for, for their growth. But yeah, I, I just feel for me right now, um, I need to be working with the strains that the international world are used to so that it makes, makes the offtake more accessible, easier to sell the product. If I, if I come in with, with an African strain and they say, what, what is this? Even though it's got the THC, it might not have the right terpenes for them. So I just feel that I can... I can Confidently grow foreign strains for for that market because I'm only allowed to grow to export. I, we we don't have um, access to to local markets, so I've got to grow strains that, that the international market are used to and, and what they want at the moment. I am doing a lot of breeding, um, but I'm using international strains at the moment. Awesome. Well, let's see what other questions we have from chat here. Um, the bell siphon question. Let me see. Um, what other questions do you guys have in chat for, uh, for Shannon about uh, what other challenges have you found in growing in South Africa? What's the current landscape there legal wise? Uh, any, you know, is, is recreational on the horizon or is it still pretty far away? Yeah, I'd say it's two to three years off. Um, they, there's a lot of club uh, club models running at the moment. People are opening clubs with dispensaries, but they they're not they're not legal. But people are doing it anyway. They 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 they're pushing they're pushing the boundaries. Um, people, some people are being arrested. Some aren't. CBD is, is 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 a way that people are trying to you know play with the market a bit. If you go into any grow shop or any any um, cannabis based store, you will find. Um, ask little distillate that you can buy in pens, but not over the counter. It's sort of under the under the under the carpet store. Um, but the recreational market is still very tight and very closed and very very hot. Um, the yeah, the regulation is very tight in this country. So it's yeah. But um, I have a, a lawyer friend who's who's working on it, and he tells me that we are as soon as we can get excited. It's, in two years time. Um, we are looking at, at Israel. Israel is uh, going to be the, the biggest recreational market opening up next year. I'm informed by my off-taker 
I'm not, I'm not sure, but I've been told that we need to be looking at, at, at um, strains for Israel. So that's what we're doing um, for that. Uh, we, our offtakes at, at the moment are, are to Australia. <laughs> and then so, yeah, you know, a little bit more about Australia. A lot of people don't know that it's where a lot of the African stuff. I know a lot of the Zimbabwe offtake is in the Australia as well. Yeah, it's, it's fascinating to me. Um, most of the offtakes at the moment from South Africa are going to Australia. It's, it's, it's fascinating. I mean, they, they, Australia had legalized it in, in a few states, but they seem to be happier by importing the product. Um, <clears throat> but also, you know, the, with, with the globe being under the pandemic, people are, people are battling financially. So cannabis is not a, not a cheap product to purchase. So that's also working against us a bit at the moment, even though we, we're probably in one of the countries we can grow the cheapest in, in the world because of our, our, our labor. Um, everything's just cheap in, in, in Africa. But yeah, and one of the biggest challenges is, is the, the climate. And especially in the Eastern Cape where we are, uh, it's very dry, it's very windy. So aquaponics is good for that, but it has its challenges with it other climatic conditions as well. But yeah, it's, it's ongoing and it's very exciting. And I'm amazed to see how many people are actually growing cannabis aquaponically around the world. It's incredible to see. But no one like you, Stephen, no one's going it like you yet. <laughs> um, uh, certainly uh, nice to see the mix of living soil and aquaponics on your farm. I think a lot of people watching us are equally as passionate about both methods. So, um, yeah. is there any, uh, what have been some of the pest challenges that you've had to deal with in South Africa? Uh, that was another question we got in chat. Yeah, I know the, the biggest, the biggest challenges are, are now in, in spring. Caterpillars, uh, American bollworm come in heavy, thrips come in heavy, aphids come in. Um, I haven't introduced any uh, predators yet. I've got natural predators running around the systems. I don't kill any predators. I don't use any toxins that kill predators. So I'm, I'm trying to bolster them in that way. Uh, my consultant has um, given me now a, a whole chart of, of insects I need to be looking at. So I'm going to be looking at that now going into the summer. Um, but my, my biggest challenge is, is climate, more, more so than, than anything else. That's, that, that, that really is my biggest challenge. So that's why a lot of people grow indoor. Um, you know, we're very much naturalists. So we, we want to stay outdoor, but we want to do the aquaponics. So I've just said to my partner, I really need to protect the plants now. So I'm just putting up heavy shade cloth all around the, the aquaponics systems to keep it as stable as I can for the plants. Because the plants are growing beautifully. But every time the, every time the wind comes through, it really comes through, it smashes those plants and damages them and sets them back, it stresses them. So it affects, it affects everything. You know, the cannabis plant with any kind of resistance is not going to be happy. So that's what I need to do is just keep up any kind of resistance for the grow. We got another question in chat. How are you dealing with the higher temperatures and humidity? Is that causing any mold issues or other things like that? Yeah, it definitely does. Um, uh, yeah, we get a lot of humidity here because we're on the coast, like we, we're at sea level, we're on the coast and I lie between two rivers. So I've got this, the sea in front of me and, I, and two rivers either side of me. So we always humid. The cloud cover is always around. The wind helps the humidity by blowing it, by, by drying it off a bit. But 
it's heavy. But the, the FATO stim, which I use, that, that, that Moringa-based product, is, it really helps me a great deal. Because of the potassium and the amino acids on it, that helps a great deal. And I've also been told that I should be adding it to my water. It'll, it'll improve the health of the plants, the roots, and the fish. I haven't done it yet because it's quite an expensive product, but I'm going to start doing it now in the summer. My, my biggest fear now going into summer in aquaponics is pythium. Um, every summer, pythium comes in and it wipes out my entire crop, not my cannabis crop, but my lettuce crop. Anything that's on a raft gets nailed by pythium. The buckets are better, the media beds better, but I still, I still use plants in the buckets and media beds, media beds but um, oxygen, I've, I've increased my oxygen levels a great deal. For pythium and the biodine, I believe, will also help with the pythium, but it remains to be seen. But oxygen is a big thing for, for pythium. And yeah. your 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 um your your mixture, yeah, your lactic acid bacteria, that now I saw that this evening. I need to I, I took a picture of your recipe as well, <laughs> just to get it. But we will, I'm sure we'll go to your masterclass course. So I look forward to that. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, those are just a few things from it, but uh, um, uh, certainly, you know, increasing biodiversity of the microbes in there and then just making sure the water doesn't get too hot uh, can be another great way to help uh, mitigate that a little bit. Um, well, this so is the other thing I need to be doing is just putting in heat exchangers for, for summer and winter and working them either way. Because I haven't, I've got no way to control my water temperature and that's, that's very, it's, it's like a wild west at the moment. So yeah, I need to look at that now in summer. We had a, another question in chat. Can you talk more about the Moringa uh, extract? The Moringa extract. Yeah, it's, it's called Phytostim. And it's, 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 it's basically, it's, it's an ethanol extract of, of the Moringa leaf. So they, they mash up the leaf like they would for cocaine. And they would do the extract with ethanol and then run, run it through the evaporator as such. And the end product, it, 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 it smells very rich. It smells medicinal. Um, you can drink it. It's, 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 it, and they call it plant nutrition, and it, it just softens the plant. It, it, it's just wonderful stuff for them, and it, it increases photosynthesis and growth, and doubles the, your yield. It, it just it makes your stems thick, your leaves very big. Everything goes green. It's a wonderful, wonderful product. It's made locally, and um, I believe they're on a marketing spree now in Malaysia um, at, at an expo there. Um, I'm, there's only two two growers at the moment. Um, and we're doing a bit of a marketing thing for it, um, but no, I'm not. I'm not marketing it. I'm. I'm just doing it on Instagram because it, it does so well for my plants that that I use it. So I'm, I'm going to put it into my water now as well to see what difference that makes. Awesome. I was. Uh, what other uh, things would you like people to know about South Africa? I think a lot of people uh, uh, don't uh, really have. You know, especially people that haven't been there don't have really. Uh, an idea of what the country is like, especially the agricultural thing you want to kind of mention about Africa and the ag scene in general there? Yeah, it's, it's going to, South Africa is going through big changes at the moment. Um, politically and in, in, every, in every aspect, we're going through big changes and um, you can see it just on the streets. Um, I do worry about, about food supply in Africa. Um, there are a lot of a lot of white South Africans leaving South Africa because of the politics and, and the uncertainty of South Africa. A lot of people are are leaving and going to Canada and America and Mauritius and Australians and they 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 they're leaving in by the droves. 
um, which is worrying for the country. The, the brain drain is, is escalating at a rapid rate. Um, so we have we have that challenge. We have Eskom, which is our power supplier, which is extremely challenging for the country. We spend half of our time on load shedding. Um, the, the whole climate change thing now with the whole coal-powered power stations being phased out. And it, this Africa, Africa can only afford coal power, power stations. The, the nuclear one in Cape Town is leaking the issues there. So water, um, politics, electricity, and stability in South Africa are the, big, are the four big questions at the moment. Um, there were the big riots in in in, in KwaZulu Natal in July. Uh, a lot of people, a lot of foreigners, were looking to invest um, in in South Africa just prior to that. And when that happened, the investors ran for the hills. They, they weren't going to invest in a country that's so unstable. Um, so I would say we we in for a few more years of instability. But it is probably the most beautiful country in the world. It's very diverse in, in people, in nature. Um, agriculturally, aquaponics is, is a very good thing for South Africa, not, not, not for labor because it's, 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 it takes away from labor because it doesn't require much labor, but for food security and sustainability is certainly one of the big things that we're looking at. And a lot of people are coming in from the States and, and investing in aquaponics in South Africa for food, for food security. So that's, that's rather positive. Um, that they're looking at that because water is scarce, food is scarce, population is growing by the day. And yeah, everyone's just a bit worried in the country at the moment as to how we're going to get through the next couple of years and how it's going to end up. Um, it's, it's very volatile at the moment. Well, uh, um uh, how do people find out more about your farm and the school that you run? I know you guys also have some training stuff down there as well. Yeah, it's not actually our school. Um, it's, 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 a, it's an academy called Chiba, and it's, it's, it's run by a guy called Trenton. He was actually in the, in the music industry before. He's was, was always been into cannabis, a wonderful guy. And they've opened up uh, there's three academies. There's two in Kettenberg Bay and there's one in Johannesburg. So. And we supported them tremendously. We've got two interns that are with them at the moment, and they're going to be finishing now in November, and then they're going to come join us here. But they, so we, we asked the interns to go there to start the process, just to make it a formality for, for SAP and for government to see that we're actually using the system so that we can certify the system so that we get trainees coming from the event to come to our systems to learn aquaponics, not just cannabis, but medicinal plants and food as a broad-based education, and then they can go on further. But I'd like to keep those trainings um, to further our, our facility because we are expanding as we go every year. I've got uh, I've got five um, aquaponics modules at the moment, and I've got three tunnels that we're going to be converting to aquaponics now in the new year. And then hopefully Stephen's going to come out in, in February or March, and he's going to help us with the, the expansion on that. So yeah, that's that's where we're going. We're going big. All right. Well, is there anything else you wanted to tell everybody about um, uh, uh, before you go? No, I just wanted to say thank you very much, Stephen, for, for doing this this big event. It's, it's huge that you're exposing aquaponics in such a big big way internationally. It's, it's wonderful. So I applaud you for that. And um, 
well done to you, really, for what you've done in aquaponics and for cannabis, especially. Thanks for joining us today, man. I really appreciate you taking the time. I know it's getting uh, getting late there in South Africa, so I do appreciate you, you coming on. No, well, thank you very much for having me, and I will I will stay on for the whole week, and I'm going to be on, I'll put the whole weekend aside for this. So thank you very much. I'm going to learn a great deal from this. So thank you, Stephen. It's wonderful. Well, thanks again, man. Take care.